this is the finance committee uh, on October the 8th, 2020. Uh, Ronna, can you call a roll for us, please? Trustee Avalada. Here. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Shequin. Here. Trustee DeVries. Here. Trustee Peterson. Here. You have a quorum. Thank you. Do we have any public comment? We do not have any public comment, no. Okay, uh, <clears throat> moving on to our first item, uh, the minutes. Do I hear a motion? Motion. Second. Second. With, with the, with the uh, change that's noted. With the change that's noted. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, unanimous. Uh, let's move on to information discussion items. Uh, CFO report. Kim. All right, share my screen. All right, can everybody see it? Yeah. Yes. All right. <coughs> so um, the first couple uh, pages are the uh, funding relief opportunities that we've identified for COVID-19. Um, the first slide here is the CARES summary. Uh, the bottom two items are the only new items since we last talked. We received, we submitted an application for uh, the general distribu distribution phase two. We're expecting to get $5 million. And then for CARES part 12, the last item there, we received 440.5 million on August 27th bringing the total CARES received to 24.6 million. And then on as far as non-CARES funding, there's no changes this month. Total received to date 4.9 million for a grand total of all COVID relief money, 29.5 million. Any questions on that? Do we have any sense of where we ended up with how much of that will be realized in last year's budget cycle and <clears throat> as opposed to how much of that goes has to go into this year's? No, not at this point. I did have a meeting with our auditors and they said they're comfortable using the guidance that was in place at the end of the year, which to them means we may not move anything into this fiscal year. Uh, however, I've asked them to do a little modeling based on the guidance that's available because I'd like to try to mirror the modeling as best as possible and not have to come back with adjustments, right? Yeah. Uh, I'd like to have our audited financial statements uh, as close as possibly reflect the submissions that we'll be making to Health and Human Services. Okay. Thanks. Uh, more to come on that. We'll know more in the next month or so. Great. This next slide is the expense, COVID expense slide. This is not all in. This is uh, just my ongoing tracking, which includes costs that are hitting the COVID direct cost center. For everything that's there, I have a document that says this is why we did it and this is why it was 100% related to COVID. Uh, I did that mostly for in case we're going to end up doing a FEMA application. We won't make that decision until probably closer to the end of the COVID uh, emergency. Uh, again, FEMA is 75%, and if we could get um, additional funding from other sources, 
we would we want that to be the last resort and of course they're double dipping right uh, and then other expenses related to COVID are the leaves of absence. Uh, you know, we've got COVID specific pay codes, but they're being charged to the departments. Uh, cleaning supplies, we're, we're way over run rate um, for that. Uh, and probably we end up doing some analysis based on a per patient day kind of thing to get to a real number. But I'm just giving you kind of a, a high level estimate here. There are IT costs and IT equipment costs. Um, they did have to buy a lot of licenses and they did a lot of work to set up telemed and to set up all of our folks to work at home. And I know that IT is working on this because I wanted to identify the strict COVID uh, costs that we can support and move it into the move it into the box above for the direct costs. And they're still working on that. Uh, and as far as capital expenditures, we've got a few things there, um, not 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 major dollars. So this is where we are as of uh, the end of August. Any questions here? Okay. So then I'm going into the uh, volume highlights. Um, We're still seeing significant uh, reductions in our acute discharges and census we're uh, we're off about um, six or so percent um, this is much better than we were uh, at one point in the march early april time frame our uh, days and discharges were off 25 to 30 percent so this is uh you know we're obviously a lot fuller than we were um, if you look down in the second block there, you can see ED visits are still way down at 22.5% off budget and uh, our, um, our surgeries 39.6%, mostly outpatient surgeries, which of course are the elective surgeries. So those, there's definitely a mix, a service mix change. And again, a lot of those uh, outpatient surgeries and elective items are um, uh, we, we generate more revenue and more profitability. On the skilled nursing side, really, you see the, the impact we're having on throughput. Our, our discharges aren't as high. Uh, I didn't note it above, but our uh, uh, average length of stay is also up in the acute. Uh, there's some sick medical patients there with, with COVID, uh, and we're having to have to keep them longer. So that's the volume slide on the uh, second volume slide with clinic visits. I still am not comfortable reflecting all of the clinic visits by type of visits. We'll get there. We're close. I probably could have included it at this month, but I, I uh, didn't have a chance to circle back with the ambulatory team to make sure they were okay with it. Uh, so I'm just doing total telehealth and total clinic visits. You can see we were off in the in the month of August, there was some true ups still happening, but year to date, we're very close to budget. We're only off 1.4%. Uh, and that's because, you know, most of those in-person visits are still happening. They're just happening as a telehealth visit. In regard to, regard to adjusted discharges, adjusted patient days, that's the blended mix of how we measure our volumes. We're down about 13.8%. 
9% in adjusted discharges and 16.3% year to date. And again, we're starting to see more patients, a uh, higher census, which is helping us. I've also added something new here to the bottom payer mix. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on it today. We got a full agenda. Um, and I started tracking this more because we had a lot of mapping issues in EPIC and it impacted our OSHPOD reporting. And so I really wanted to start focusing more on it to make sure that we've got our mapping correct and it's accurate. So um, it will be reflected in my presentation and it will also be in the stats that's in the, in the um, entire packet. We even have it by facility. So it's something that's there if you want to look at it and we'll be talking about it more as time goes on. Does that include the uh, uh, psychiatric, the short-term medical, is that in that number as well? It does, that's the total, what you just saw there. But if you go into the detail of the finance packet, you can see John George by itself. Thank you. So here's the highlights. Um, on the highlight side, you can see we're not uh, doing, starting off particularly well this uh, fiscal year. Uh, we are missing our budget for net income by 5 million. We have a loss of 3.9 million. Year to date, that's 11.2, which is 9.8 off of target. However, I do wanna point out last year, uh, we were also off at this point during the year. Um, in regard to EBITDA, which is earnings before interest depreciation and amortization. So the idea there is that that's a good indicator of cash flow that the organization is generating. Um, we have a loss of 2.4 for the month and 8.4 for the year, which is a miss of budget of 8.1 million and 16.1. Again, last year we were had a loss of 5.1. And this is not inclusive of costs related to covering uh, our strike? No, no strike. Uh, nothing was, there was no strike impact as of August. That would show up in October, I guess? Yes. So uh, here's the net revenue slide. And I'll uh, direct your attention there to gross patient revenue. Um, we're missing budget by 30.7 million or 10.2%. Um, that's uh, also year to date at a miss of 548 and 9.2%. So uh, the we August kind of the charges increased a little more. Few other comments here. Um, My notes, uh, our net patient revenue is also off there, the 8.3 million in total. So you've got the volume impact, most of that being from COVID, but then there's also a net revenue impact here. Our collection rate at 17.3% is actually better than year to date at 16.6 and better than we've been running. But quite frankly, that's a good month for us. Uh -huh. um, but our budget is way too high. So we had a spread issue that we'll be fixing um, when, we, uh, when we approve a final budget. Mm -hmm. uh, I also wanna talk about the fact that our cash has been better than we expected um, actually for the last several months, despite of COVID. 
which is an indicator that our net revenue might might be too low. Uh, so um, I want to I want everyone to appreciate that we have a model that we use to determine what our net patient service revenue is, and it's based on our paid accounts. We call them ZBAs. Uh, it's it's accounts that have completely closed out to almost zero. But what's happened in Epic is we were delayed in getting gross charges out. So we didn't have any meaningful information at all until probably March or April when we got claims out the door. But then we had this huge influx of denials. And those denials are just now back at a, at a normal level. So we're one year in post go live. So we need to do a one year mark look at our uh, collection model and true it up. And we're doing that as part of the year end audit. And I've been kind of talking about this, um, you know, month after month, um, that we have a high realization of cash and net revenue. And I'll show you the cash slide here in a few minutes. It's probably mm -hmm. a look at it, but we will need to be doing a true up here. So I'm just pointing it out um, in this slide. So uh, <clears throat> since the collection ratios is are so far are kind of moving all over the place, they kind of net together for year to date. But when you look at last month, we were too low. This month we're too high. You know, it's mm -hmm. kind of a roller coaster ride. The reason why is our our model is not is not solid, and we will be truing it up uh, at this one year mark post go live. Okay. So in regard to capitation, HPAC, not a lot of variance there. The other big variance other uh, governmental programs, and that is uh, an issue with the BHC retroactive money. Uh, normally, the money we receive from the county for John George would be in net patient service revenue, but so as not to skew the, the collection ratio, when we receive retro money, we include it in supplementals. And there's a little hiccup here in our budget that we will correct. Any questions on revenue? So here's our operating expense slide. Um, labor's on the next slide, so I won't talk about that here. I'll just talk about the largest variances, uh, which are purchase services were favorable 7.5% or half a million. Um, really, that's across the board. We, we've got a lot of um, positive variances. I think people are really being uh, cognizant of our uh, financial situation and putting off anything that we, you know, can put off. Um, there are a couple of areas where we do see some more, some larger variance. It's in management consulting, which is being offset by uh, software licensing and emergency food and shelter. In regard to materials and supplies, we have a negative variance there at 7.7% or, or 600,000. That's being driven by an inventory adjustment. Uh, we're doing some research there. Um, every so often we clean out our POs that are out in the system that didn't have a matched invoice and usually it results in a, in a positive variance. This is a negative variance and when we drilled into it, it has to do with our, uh, I think, COVID and the fact that we've, we've, um, 
we had these new vendors and we were bringing in a lot of uh, PP&E supplies and dispersing it to departments that used to not get any of these types of items. And um, so the team is on it and I'll have an answer for you uh, next month. In regard to facilities, there's not much of a variance. The depreciation has a 300,000 variance. This is because of a low budget. Um, we started depreciating acute rehab and the Sapphire project in January. And when they built the budget uh, originally back in the you know April timeframe, they just uh, didn't quite get enough depreciation in there. So we will fix that. And general administrative is being driven by a dividend payment from our insurance programs. Mm. That's a one time. Yes. Yes. Any, <clears throat> any other questions? I saw somewhere that our workers' comp rates were pretty, uh, uh, workers' comp cases were quite high. Is that? Is that correct? I, maybe this isn't the meeting to do this in. Yeah, I don't know if Tony's on. Tony resource. wants to respond to that workers' comp question, or Mike. I was going to say I think Tony's on the four o'clock leadership update. Uh, Mike is on. He may know, but I'm not sure. Mike, do you know? I I, I do not have anything specific on that. I was not at the last uh, workers' comp review. And where's that? Is that reduced? Is there a report that goes to the trustees on that? Uh, those those numbers are typically uh, reviewed in the HR committee. Um, I believe they actually might have those reflected on their dashboard, if I recall correctly. Okay, so I'll leave it there. I, I see that uh, Trustee Jensen is uh, on in this meeting, so I point that to her to to look at that issue. So our labor costs overall were favorable, 4.2 million. Uh, and that's really being driven by the GASB retirement adjustment. Uh, we got that in the report in June. So the folks that did the budget really didn't have an opportunity to align the budget with actual. Um, the investment returns um, were very favorable, which is gonna reduce the long-term liability it doesn't help us with EBITDA, but we will true this up to be closer so we're not talking about a, an artificial variance each month. Mm -hmm. um, when you look at our salaries and our registry, you can see they're offsetting, but they still are resulting in a 0.3 uh, million or 300,000 negative variance. Um, that is being driven, of course, by the leaves of absence for COVID and the need to backfill. Um, we'll show a slide here in just a minute on the FTEs. Um, employee benefits are favorable. Some of this is timing differences with the with the budget and the fact that you know when you when you're towards the end of the year, a lot of the folks have met their FICA um, employee share, um, and we of course match it. So that's part of the reason. But the biggest difference is really in the self-funded health and dental plans. Um, folks are deferring any elective services, and so we're seeing a uh, big favorable variance in our self-insured plans. Any questions there? 
Here's the FTE graph. Um, this is uh, is really telling uh, the the difference between the red and the blue line represent basically our vacancies. So we typically will budget more FTEs than we actually have because there's turnover and it takes time to recruit people. Uh, and so we've we've experienced a, 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 a gap or vacancy for you know quite some time. Uh, you're seeing that go away because now we're bringing in folks to cover the paid leaves of absences. So that's making our overall paid FTEs jump up and jump up quite a bit. Uh, we had 135 people on paid leave for COVID. It was a decrease from July, uh, but I think everyone is expecting this not to keep going down because uh, with schools closing, it, it definitely impacts parents and their ability to be at work. So now I'm moving on to the balance sheet. Uh, here's our key metrics. Um, AR days are continuing to come down. They're still not where we want them to be at uh, 97.2. Um, normally you would see gross days and net days move together at about the same ratio. Our net AR days um, went down more than gross because of the net revenue increase we had uh, due to the higher net revenue or our higher uh, lower contractual or higher collection rate. So that you can see it right there on the balance sheet. That's why these metrics are so important because it really helps tie together the whole story. In regard to accounts payable, um, you know, we've had money and so we've been paying our vendors timely. So you can see how um, the days in AP are down, and uh, so is the days at 60 days. Current ratio stayed pretty much about the same. So this next slide is a new one we added a few months back. It's really just to make sure that we don't lose track of the transactions with the county. Um, really, there's no change from when I presented this before. Uh, really, the, the items that we're most interested here that are not in the normal course of business is the capital designation receivable and the capital cost receivable and the capital cost payable. So basically, the capital designation receivable is the Sapphire money, the, the $7 million that um, goes kind of back and forth between the county. We've paid two years and haven't gotten one back yet, so that's something that is due to us. And then the uh, capital costs receivable, we estimate that we owe the county um, $21,386,000. Uh, we haven't paid them that yet. Uh, however, uh, they owe us $25.8. That net difference is the $4 million that's also in our budget presentation that we have not figured out a way to get back from them. Um, I did get an email from... Melissa Welk uh, asking me for my list of capital items. So I think they're working on figuring out a way to um, release some of those funds. And the issue there was the county not having a process actually to, to do that. Yes, yeah, so we transferred the funds about two years ago, <clears throat> the first set of the first amount, the 4.4 million or so. 
and uh, we've been asking how can we get this back and we just we there was a big process where uh, Luis uh, our COO met with their um, capital facility person you know they they did this whole big uh, list of all of the needs but we never really came out of that with any funding support so um, the fact that she asked for for the list I think will uh, is maybe we're getting <laughs> we're getting through this log jam and maybe we can figure out a process and get some funding back uh, Kimberly quick question this is Joe um, didn't we um wasn't there also a depreciation for the acute care tower that uh, was also supposed to come to us? So, so there is, so this, so when that's, we, as we settle uh, a year. This is it, okay. Then we record the receivable or payable. Um, we, we didn't used to have this on our books, but now once we get to a point in the, in the, cost report where we actually have a, a solid number, we move it to payable to the county. And that's that 21386 that we haven't transferred yet. We, we should be transferring that soon. I guess um, I used by the word sapphire uh, reflecting the two years of 7 million. I, that that's is a that's capital, yeah. capital designation receivable. So that's that the second line there under the due from county yeah okay any other questions no. uh so trustee sequin i actually i went back and looked at the workers comp report and i don't see that there uh has been any increase i looked at the report for the last couple of months and uh we're still you know, reporting about 9.3% below both uh, on a calendar year and fiscal year basis than we had the year before. So uh, maybe we can talk offline about uh, what you saw and make sure we're not missing something or have something that might be in conflict. Yeah, I, I, I must have misread something. I'll go back and look at what I was looking at. And if I have any further questions, I'll get back to you. Thank you. Okay. Mm -hmm. So here's our, our cash collections. So if you look at July, we collected 46.3 million in August, 49.5 million. Um, there's uh, an error in my slide here, the total for prior year. However, what that is, is a two month comparison. So uh, we collected 95.9 million this year and 91.8 million last year for the same two month period. Right. So, um, I mean, that's, that, that is really good, especially since you figure in March, we were impacted by COVID uh, initially by, you know, 25, 30%. So if you look at our days in AR being 97.2, that's about three, three months in a week, you would have expected by July that we would have had a decrease of 20 or 25%. Mm. And we're, we had an increase from last year. And that, and of course, that was pre-go live. So that has nothing to do with Epic or anything else. So although it tells a really good story. Although, Kim, can I, I mean, um, is it possible that it is, I, I heard you just say it has nothing to do with Epic, but is it possible that our rev cycle under Epic now is performing better than it was under our prior systems? Yes, that, that is what I'm saying. It's a really good okay. story. So 
we're we're so there's catch obviously because we we're slow getting claims out the door uh so some of this money is from more than you know 97.2 days ago um but yeah this is this is i couldn't have a better story to tell here this is this is really good news and you know we're we're collecting and you know our days in ar do need to come down 97 is too high um but we are really doing a good a great job and this shows it yeah i agree and the only thing uh, trustees i would add is uh, um uh you know during that time period uh we were um we were, you know, pre-go live, so there was a lot of in-user um, uh, training going on at the time. Sure. Uh, uh, so there was a little bit, but but only a little bit, I would say, uh, there. But I just, uh, I think it really is uh, a testament, uh, particularly in the last couple of months here, uh, that that the collections at this point, I would I, I would venture a guess that the impact of COVID has been greater than on on our volumes and then our revenue has been greater than what the pre-go live. Uh, um, uh, impact was and and to see this outcome for me is really um, uh, indicative of a very uh, a much more higher performing uh, ref cycle than what we had before um, both from the system but also the workflows and the and the people doing the work so I think that's worth pointing out. I also want to point out in June at thirty eight point four. I was thinking, okay, you know, this is COVID, you know, we're going to see that decrease. I was building in all my projections and for the last two months I have been wrong. I still think there will be an impact, but we have not seen it yet. Yeah, very encouraging. I'm sure there's just a tremendous amount of hard work behind this story. Yes, we. I did uh, put a written um, report on the revenue cycle in the package that went out. Uh, so if anybody wants to do some reading. We've uh, included quite a bit of information in there for you. Right. Uh, this is sorry. One more, one more parenthetical thing. I know it's. I think I shared it with you all, but in the event that I didn't, because I also shared it at the uh, health committee meeting. Um, uh, Mark is on the call, but um, since we we're talking about RevCycle, um, I think uh, I shared that uh, a, a week or so ago, maybe two weeks. Uh, they're running together now. We got notice from Epic. Uh, you, I, some of you may recall that we had. Uh, uh, Epic has what's called a good install program where you are required to hit sort of uh, certain milestones and best practices as you're going through the design, build, implementation, uh, and post go live phase. And uh, at the end of all of that, they um, uh, calculate your performance, and then there's a um, there's a rebate that you can get depending on how you performed. And um, happy to share that. Uh, Mark can correct me on this. I think we got over $750,000 back from Epic um, um, based off of our performance over the, that period of our, our go-live and uh, uh, pre-go-live period. And um, our, our uh, main Epic contact, we call them our BFF, uh, that's Epic Lingo, uh, said to us, Arch has been working with Epic for, what, 13 years or so, I think he said, and it's the largest, um, the largest uh, um, good install rebate he's ever seen during his time uh, at Epic. Wow. Just to share that. By, by a large shot, he said uh, on that they haven't seen anything even close to that uh, previously. And you know, I want to give a shout out to the team. There is literally hundreds of things that you have to do in order to achieve that good install. Much of it driven by our user base, our management team, uh, other decisions that we had to make during the good install or during the during the install process to achieve that. So it was it was super exciting uh, for the team to realize that. And obviously, it's a uh, 
a significant amount of money to put back to the bottom line here for the organization. So we were really pleased about that. I also want to underscore, you know, Kim has been a great partner on this and the team she's brought on board, but the numbers we're seeing turning around with Epic, uh, you know, we anticipated this. This was a vision you guys had actually launched into long before I even joined the team, but it is great to see our integrated electronic medical record performing like this. Well, great news. Thank you. That is, I just really wanted to just quickly underscore, I've been through a few uh, EHR sort of implementations and I got to tell you, when I saw that go live date, I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, I <laughs> actually, I mean, it's, it's actually not that often you actually hit your go live, let alone in a system of this size. And with the number of systems we had to kind of retire after this, it wasn't like we went from one system to another. We went from multiple systems into this one. Um, and so the fact that we hit our, our mark in and of itself was was pretty major. Um, so it's great to hear that corroboration because I, I just remember being sort of in, in shock, really, honestly, that we that we were able to hit it. So, yeah, really um, kudos to the to the whole team. Absolutely. Yeah. Great work. Agreed. Agreed. So this is the supplemental table, it just says we've got a receivable of 76.8 million net. Um, just leaving it in there just to remind everybody of, you know, these prior period recoupments. Uh, you know, we've got the Medi-Cal cost uh, reports, the old waivers and the FQHC. Nothing's changed from these old numbers, um, but we need the current money for current operations, we can't apply it to these um, recoupments. Right. And then here's the forecast of the NNB. Um, this uh, forecast is consistent with the budget that we're going to present tonight. Uh, we did see some improvement. Um, maybe not quite all the way to our target, but uh, a good amount of improvement. Um, there have been significant um, material items that offset each other. So you don't really see it when you look at my projection because this really hasn't changed much from a month. But just what's happened is, you know, when I look back at my list is, is, is pretty phenomenal. Um, we paid the FY09 waiver. That was $7 million. That would have increased our credit line seven million. Uh, we got those additional patient receipts. You know, depending upon how you want to calculate, it, you could get very complicated. It can be get very complicated, but say it's in the five million range or so more than I had planned. Uh, measure A, we you know saw a dip and then it came back, so that was another plus of you know about five million. We got additional COVID relief money of like 11.7 in July and August. That was when we actually got the cash. So that brought down the NNB. We made a strike payment of a prepayment of 8 million on October 1st. And we got an EBITDA loss of 8.4 million. You add all that stuff out, it pretty much washes, which uh, you know is, uh, is quite amazing from my perspective. I did yes, I that in the letter, but I did not do it on the slide. So, so remind me, Kim, you know, we had some uh, breaking news on the recoupments, and I was confused. But there's a delay of one of them. Is that the spa? 
Uh, there is a delay in the spa. We've known about that one for some time. The state's having a difficult time reconciling, and that got moved out okay. to 22 or 23. Um, the We did have a conversation with the state. Uh, we, it was with the staff, and they said that there were still a lot of outstanding P14 audits, and this is on the old waivers, and this is where we have quite a bit of money due. So going back to here, Old waivers are there um, yeah. for a, a liability of $67.2 million. I uh, mentioned that we paid 09 of $7 million, so we still owe $60 million. Um, mm -hmm. And what the state said is they don't think they're going to be able to get them uh, reconciled by December of 2020. And they have asked CMS for an extension of 12 months to December of 21. And they felt very confident that they would get it. And furthermore, when we expressed that this would be a huge hardship, you know, coming after, you know, all of these years later and that we didn't have the cash to pay it, they also acknowledged the hardship and said we were not alone, that there were other hospitals in the situation and that they might entertain some, um, you know, a loan program but they couldn't really talk to us about what that would look like until they actually had hard numbers. Right. So in terms of the chart here, is, it, is that assuming that new information or are you uh, being conservative? I left it in because it was just a verbal conversation. I yeah. had nothing in writing. They didn't say it was approved by CMS, but as soon as I have something solid, then I would adjust this forecast uh, it's a reasonable way to do it. I just wanted to make sure that, um, you know, there, that that could be that could be very helpful. Sixty million. Yes, it absolutely could. Uh, and I also think maybe if once I get that information, I may put this out at least make it a twelve month instead of just the fiscal year. Mm -hmm. Start to make it rolling. Good. So um, again, I just recouped the, um, I mean, I, re I, I uh, uh, just listed out the recoupments here and the years that they're from. So that's my presentation for tonight. Great, any uh, questions, comments from trustees? Thank you, Kim, great report. Uh, Let's uh, move on to the Chief Operating Officer's report. Yes, good evening, Trustees. Uh, tonight, uh, as, as you recall, we have our uh, report out from our SBUs. Uh, the scheduled report out tonight is from our post-acute leader, uh, Richard Espinoza. So I'm gonna go ahead and turn it over to him. Hey, Richard. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me, Trustees. Uh, I don't know if you have the slides in front of you. Um, but uh, we've been pretty busy in our post-acute settings. Uh, there's been a lot of changes with CDPH and CMS and COVID-related rules and regulations um, around admitting uh, to skilled nursing facilities and subacute units in terms of having red and yellow and green zones, as well as to moving uh, to weekly testing now of our 
employees. And so uh, CMS had sent out a regulation indicating that we would be testing based on positivity rates in our communities. But uh, CDPH came back and, and uh, decided to do something um, above that and do testing every week. Mm -hmm. have had a heavy lift um, and they've done a remarkable job. And so our leaders in our post-acute sites in conjunction with our employee health uh, has done a, a lot of work together to make sure that we're meeting that requirement. Uh, so, uh, one of the one of the regulations talks about uh, admissions must go into what's called a yellow zone, a quarantine zone, uh, and they must stay in the quarantine zone for 14 days with two negative uh, COVID tests, um, creating not only for us but uh, post acutes throughout the nation. Um, census issues and throughput issues. And so as we have designated uh, yellow quarantine zones, once those are filled, you cannot admit into your green zones, which is your general population, until they've gone through that process. And so as you reflect on some of our data, um, and as Kim was mentioning, our patient days are below budget, and it's largely due to the fact that we have to wait um, that 14-day period in order to move our patients into the SNF, into the green zones. And once those beds are full, we can't admit. And so that's not just us, but it's all skilled nursing facilities and subacute units. So um, we decided to do something uh, through the system, and uh, I sit on some committees, and it's, it's impeding not only our hospitals, but other hospitals in terms of throughput and SNFs. Uh, in regard to admitting. And so there's a, a waiver that CMS has put out uh, and in conjunction with CDPH to have uh, COVID spaces uh, in order to utilize, to help uh, with any issues that hospitals may be having. And so through CDPH and public health and working with our county partners, uh, we are looking at utilizing the space in our H building as a quarantine unit. And so the quarantine unit will meet that 14-day period, uh, and then they can be admitted to any green zone of any of our SNFs, any SNFs in the community, which will help our community SNFs in terms of census building and throughput, as well as our acute hospitals, uh, our acute hospitals, and any acute hospitals in our county. Um, so moving forward on that, we, we anticipate that our volumes will pick up, um, and that will help our length of stay in our acute hospital setting. So something that we're really excited about moving forward on. We've had a little delay in terms of having a CDPH, but we're looking to have that done in the next two weeks. So as of now, our occupancy rate is 91% on a budget of 94. Um, and we continue to work with our uh, SNF partners uh, that we have our partnerships with throughput. Uh, we've kept our admission numbers low with the understanding that uh, everyone has the same um, barriers in terms of the yellow, green, and red zone. So um, we uh, have been meeting the numbers that we have budgeted, uh, 20 last month on a budget of 18 referrals from Highland specifically. In terms of discharges, we're slightly above year-to-date at 153 on a budget of 150. So we have really strong processes and really making sure our patients are getting stronger and, and heading home. Um, reducing our rates of uh, patients from our acute rehab that are being discharged to SNFs, but rather home. We do have a rehab clinic uh, at Fairmont, which is managed by a physiatrist, our PM&R doctor, and we, we're having some transition with that role. And so we've seen the number dip as well as 
uh, concerns around COVID about having uh, those patients come in. And so that number is slightly, um, actually more than slightly below budget, but we're anticipating that number will grow once we have our new physician on board um, and have finalized some throughput uh, and um, some efforts around uh, how we can mitigate bringing in um, more patients safely into that environment. Uh, one of the areas that we have seen significant decreases in our outpatient rehab setting, um, and that's largely due to uh, COVID again, and making sure that we're keeping six feet of separation and social distancing and things of that nature while we're treating patients with PTOT and speech. So we're currently seeing about 50% of what we would normally see. And so we're working with our infection preventionists uh, to see if there's something we can do differently. But at this point, um, that's the major variance that we're seeing in terms of volumes in our outpatient uh, settings. Under quality, um, we are due for our CARF accreditation and our acute rehab unit. We had our first, uh, it's hard to believe, was three years ago. Um, and three years is the, the greatest accreditation that they give. And so we're looking to have our follow-up survey um, within the next two months, and we're shooting to have another three-year accreditation um, from that uh, organization. So we're really doing a lot of work on that unit. We see uh, quality metric outcomes. Uh, as I had mentioned, discharges are lower to SNFs um, to budget, 12.6 on a budget of 15.5, which is great. We want people to go home, go back into the community. Uh, labor dollars also below budget at 1446 on a budget of 1479. So the team's really focused on efficiencies, uh, focusing on overtime and things of that nature. And lastly, total expense uh, per patient day on that unit is also uh, better than target at 1479 on a budget of 1515. So all of the post-acute teams really focusing on both quality and um, monitoring what we what we call in post-acute the controllables, items that we can control, staffing, purchasing, things of that nature. For some of the quality measures in our SNF and subacute units, um, all SNFs and subacute units have a four-star quality metric measure, um, which is above uh, average. Uh, and they, the Alameda sites, the three SNFs are at an overall five-star. Um, and Fairmont had a, a dip to three stars. And so the teams are working on um, one, picking up the quality metrics, which there are over 33 different uh, metrics that fall into that, both long-term and short-term metrics, such as readmission rates, um, uh, ADL function, things of that nature. So the teams are really focused on, on the areas that are flagging so that we can make some improvements. Um, readmission rates are below uh, budget um, and below the state average. State average is at 20.8. We are currently in real time at 14.4, which is great. Um, it helps our hospitals not uh, return patients back from our SNFs. And uh, it basically is saying that our teams are, have a really strong process in identifying changes of condition early so that we're calling physicians and making um, recommendations and following um, some of their guidance earlier than later so that we can prevent uh, transfers to the acute um, from occurring. Uh, as for experience, our post-acute in our ARU in August had 100% satisfaction on a budget of 87%. Uh, they continue to focus on their outcomes. Our SNFs and 
uh, contract with a third-party vendor, and, and those surveys are conducted twice a year. Um, it takes uh, quite a bit of time for SNFs to make some um, changes in certain areas over that course of time with uh, roughly about 80% of the same population for them to be able to see some of those changes. And so you will see on our uh, dashboard that um, we did not hit target, but you'll see that our targets are, are pretty high. We're looking at 91% uh, satisfaction and hitting in the 80s for most of the sites and 82 for Park Ridge, so above. Uh, I will say that 76 is the average um, satisfaction rate for SNFs. And so uh, even though we're pushing ourselves to be five stars and pushing ourselves to have higher uh, patient satisfaction scores and are showing red, um, they're still having great outcomes. We're just, uh, we don't settle for uh, just average. We want to be uh, leaders uh, in this area. Uh, we've had, uh, as I had mentioned, um, the changes that have occurred with regulatory processes with CDPH and CMS, and we continue to have um, CDPH surveys at our sites for mitigation processes and plans, as well as our infection prevention um, programs in our sites. And so every site again in September had surveys and each one again had no findings. So, you know, I, I say that and it's, uh, you know, the teams make it look a lot easier than it is, but it's really a pretty big lift. It's, you know, really detailed plans, following those plans, educating the staff, doing audits and, and monitoring to make sure those processes is in place. And really um, the teams have done a remarkable job in terms of, um, you know, one, one, positive COVID case in an employee or a resident is an outbreak, um, but they've done a great job in not having, uh, I think Parkridge was the only one that had two positive uh, patients at one time, roommates, um, but that was the highest number we've ever had. And so they've just done a remarkable job with uh, monitoring this and keeping up with all the regulatory changes. Uh, in terms of workforce, um, the, the post-acute team has made a commitment to really focus on overtime hours over total productive hours. And we've seen some great um, pros, um, you know, great outcomes from July to August, particularly in our Fairmont subacute unit, Fairmont SNF, Fairmont EBS, and our Alameda subacutes. Um, I will mention that our Fairmont subacute is, uh, we don't have any subacute patients in our unit any longer. They were, uh, as you know, we were in the process of transitioning those beds from subacute beds to SNF beds. And uh, the, the residents that we had in that unit are now in our hosp Alameda Hospital subacute unit. Um, so they stayed within the system and we are working closely with CDPH and DHCS um, just to make sure we can move forward on that unit. And so that was actually the highest, and I'm not really not proud of this, but the highest utilizer of overtime in that unit, but uh, that has now uh, gone away as we've uh, transferred our residents to equal care at uh, Alameda. Uh, and lastly, I will share that uh, or that our um, labor dollars were slightly, uh, not slightly, but above budget, $53,000 and largely due to COVID leave. And our overall expenses for the SPE were $205,000 under budget. Um, for the month of August. And, and a lot of that is uh, really having the teams uh, focus on uh, 
um, excuse me, September, we're really focused on, uh, again, the controllables, things that they can manage later, uh, purchase services, materials, uh, things of that nature. And so um, lots of hard work on, on that team, um, lots of regulatory changes, but uh, definitely, um, you know, it's nice to have a third party CDPH come in and uh, give compliments to the teams for the hard work that they do. Um, and, uh, you know, as of yesterday, even during CDPH, they had mentioned that they, they can really see that patient care was our focus. And so lots of great things happening in post-acute. Um, you know, I always give kudos to the team. They do make it look easy. It is not. Uh, <laughs> It's a lot of hard work, but I'm certainly really proud of the work that team is doing, the rehab teams, our ARU teams, um, just some really good outcomes. So kind of the quick of it all, any questions, I'll be happy to address if I can. Great job, just great job. Thank you. Yeah, yeah particularly when you see the sort of numbers you do around discharge and readmission, you know, we're talking uh, about excellence. So I really appreciate your leadership and I've seen this consistently since I've been a trustee, Richard. I, you know, I think you need to be called out for your uh, profound leadership. And obviously, it's a team as well, but it starts with mm -hmm. good leadership. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, it's a great team. Go. I did a question. Uh, and, and yeah, you're also a really nice guy, which helps. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I'm curious about the, the the SNF requirements that have been imposed. You know, right, honestly, I mean, with good cause. The whole green, yellow. What's that? What's that doing to the to the overall SNF marketplace? And 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 I mean, are there? I feel like there must be patients stacked up um, system wide, not just our, but beyond. Uh, what do you know of that, and uh, where that's headed? Yeah, so, you know, there's there's a lot of folks looking at length of stay in the hospitals, right? So they have patients who are ready to go to SNFs, but if the SNFs yellow zones are full, even if they wanted to admit, they can't, right? And so from a hospital perspective, it's, um, you know, impacts length of stay. And, and particularly as, we, as we're moving into the flu season, we think of COVID and flu. What does that impact look like, right? And then for the SNF world, so you have some pretty large organizations that have hundreds of SNFs, so they're national, and so they're able to do some things, but you imagine the small mom-and-pop shops who have one SNF or two SNFs who are local here, and now, you know, they're all, most SNFs run at 95, 96% occupancy, right, and so you now have a dip in that because you're not allowed to admit the way you used to, your turnaround is much slower, your revenue and your intake is much lower. Um, you have staff that you have to take care of, but you're not staffing because you don't have the patience for it. Um, so, you know, financially, it's impacting a lot of organizations and, and uh, you know, it's impacting on an employee level because if you don't have patients to take care of, you know, certain companies can't afford to bring people in when you don't have the, the patients to take care of. So it's a... You know, it's, it's a double-edged sword and that we want to make sure we're keeping everyone safe. And, and a lot of the rules, you know, they all make great sense. Um, but there are some, you know, side effects to that. And so it, it is an impact not only to us, but to, you know, all organizations that have SNFs um, and hospitals. And so that was the precipice of us really wanting to see what we can do to help the community, to help, you know, throughput. Um, so really looking at that H building and seeing how we 
with that, not only for our organization, but, you know, for the community. So if we can, you know, discharge from that unit directly into green zones and bypass the yellow zones, we will be helping so many organizations throughout, including ourselves, right? Um, and helping a lot of hospitals that have a great deal of interest in this, um, who, you know, are, are eager to work with us and help, um, particularly as they're looking at flu coming up. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Chair. So uh, uh, to the trustees on this committee and to um, the audience, uh, I, I'll note that none of us have really ever seen a dashboard of this of this presentation like done. And I, and I want to give applause, of course, to Richard to this, but to Luis, because the genesis, this is a different report, if everyone recognizes. And I want to give a little bit of background. Remember, there was a discussion um, that, that occurred as proposed by a chief operating officer in our journey to meld operations, finance, and quality. And uh, this, this is actually the first time we've seen this report presented in finance. These SBUs had historically been presented in the quality committee, which I chair. Uh, Trustee Shaquin also sits on that committee. And I sit here again, trying to integrate quality and finance. And I think this is a wonderful dashboard. You really get a sense of operations here uh, in, in this particular SBU. I mean, it's a full dashboard. I wish the audience could see this in a uh, in a screenshot. There's a lot of data on this board and, and it really gives a great flavor. So uh, Luis, kudos to you. I think this is moving towards what we're trying to do. And um, there's quality here, there's finance here. And I what I do wanna do is keep alive the quality discussion, which, which we have. I'm also, uh, fortunately or unfortunately for presenters, gonna keep the questions that I maintain in QPSC. So uh, uh, Mr. Espinoza, you know what I always ask, can you please rank order your list of concerns um, as, this, as the CAO for this SBU? Um, I would say currently employee morale. I think um, with, with the strike happening, we wanna make sure that we're being sensitive to allow people to the right to their, to their rights, but also making sure that they understand that we are one organization. And so just making sure that everyone feels heard and, and understood um, and that it doesn't impact um, you know, our patient care. So I think that's my biggest uh, concern at the moment. Um, I, I wanna get this H um, building off the ground and so have that CDPH walk through here shortly so we can help the community at large. Um, and uh, I think uh, also testing. Um, testing has been a heavy lift and it's been changing and it's ever evolving. And, um, you know, keeping, um, as I mentioned, employee morale, but really keeping folks from burning out. It's, it's, it's daily operations are difficult um, and rewarding, but when we, we layer, you know, testing every employee every week and then layering on top of one positive all residents. And so it becomes a heavy lift. And so just really making sure that we're taking care of our teams and 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 meeting the regulations at the same time. So, so what I heard from you- That was kind of a combined list. one, so. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's all integrated. So what I heard from our CEO, your number one concern is number one, uh, morale. Number two, uh, the CDPH surveying vis-a-vis the H building and number three, testing for COVID. Yes. Do you feel resourced to navigate these issues? I, I do, I do. Great. You know, I'll be asking these questions for everyone who comments. Uh, I, I, I will make one comment on the, on the dashboard, which uh, again, it gives me a little bit of a smile when 
we, we see the steep construct and I appreciate that. We do remember that one of the E's is equity. And I, I note that there's no equity metric here on, on the dashboard. Um, uh, I know we have one on the major one, but I, I ask you, not now, uh, but I ask you to consider what equity measurement could we place on your master dashboard for the next time you present to us? Sure. And that's rhetorical for right now, but I'll ask it again when you present again. Will do. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Richard. Uh, yeah, Trustee Shaquini, if I may just make uh, one one additional comment uh, to this, uh, and, and again, thank you, uh, Dr. Bouquet, for Trustee Bouquet, for the uh, the feedback. Uh, again, as you have in your in your packet, the dashboard for all of the SBUs, and so as part of the plan, part of the process has been that you know we will have an SBU provide a detailed report and present uh, you know presentation by the leader, uh, but all the other dashboards are also in your packet available for your review. Uh, certainly uh, open to answer any questions that you have. Uh, that you may have regarding those. Uh, but again, uh, thank you for the feedback. For the feedback. I, I have to admit that uh, uh, the work that Richard does is, is you know, certainly second to none. Uh, you know, it, he is a resource not only to us, and he is an extremely valuable asset, but also uh, highly sought after by everyone else outside of our organization, uh, the county, the state, uh, as a content expert for many areas. And so again, we're very fortunate to have him on the team. Uh, and, and uh, you know, one of the last things I'll say is, you know, outside of all the great work that they're doing, which again, I think he is extremely humble with the realities that they deal with every single day. And over the last seven months that we've been dealing with this pandemic with all the issues, he hasn't had really by and large any issues in any of our skilled nursing facilities. And so that is a testament to the, the quality, the focus and the commitment that their teams have in those facilities. And on top of all that, you know, to support the work that, uh, you know, Kim and her team are doing the phenomenal work around revenue cycle. I will tell you that in the last most recent report, from skilled nursing, uh, you know, he's got an amazing team and on our candidate for bill consolidated errors report, they have reached the lowest point since we went live and they're they, from a peak of almost 12 million to down to about 1.5 million. So again, yeah. they're doing phenomenal work, not just providing care, but also managing the business and really doing great work with our revenue cycle and moving that forward. So again, overall, just awesome. Thank you I very just want to, if I could just, I'm Please. sorry, I, yes. we're, I, we're passing out kudos, so I'm just going to add one more just for context and all, it's all amazing, but, um, you know, really tracking sort of what's been going on with COVID uh, around the county and last I looked, there's, um, you know, over a thousand cases just in SNFs alone and, and like 30% of the deaths um, from COVID have been among SNF patients, so I don't take it lightly, we're not out of the woods by any means, but, um, but this is really tremendous work, especially given who it is that we're taking care of, so I just really wanted to commend in that regard as well. Yeah, kudos all around. Uh, and I, I, I'm going to move us on with this caveat that this dashboard is a big change. We need to continue to capacity to, to go through it. Actually, had other questions. I'm going to ask us to wait for that those questions as, as we um, gather comfort with this new reporting process. Process. That's okay. Good. Uh, let's move on to item C, the big kahuna, the FY 2021 uh, budget approval. And I think uh, our CEO and our CFO are going to do this. 
So uh, it's actually uh, most uh, mostly, and by mostly, I mean almost exclusively Cam. Um, but I just wanted to uh, uh, obviously uh, just table set that um, uh, per our, our prior discussions, we have spent the last couple of months uh, uh, since your approval of the, um, I think we're calling it preliminary or interim budget, uh, uh, trying to shore up some additional um, analysis and um, uh, fact-finding to uh, produce for you a budget that was consistent with your uh, request and expectation uh, that we get uh, closer to uh, where we were um, last year in terms of a run rate budget. And uh, uh, while we've fallen short of that, uh, the budget we'll be presenting uh, to you today is an improvement on the interim budget as far as our um, kind of forecasting goes here uh, with our best available information with some caveats, obviously, in terms of recent activity and ongoing COVID activity um, uh, not reflected here. Um, um, as we didn't know that when we were finalizing this budget for posting last week. Um, but uh, that this is our best estimate and, and guesstimate, and obviously we'll continue to uh, forecast and update with you as uh, the, the weeks and months go along. So uh, with that, um, oh, and I would say, I think, uh, to Trustee uh, Peterson's expectations um, uh, of at least uh, from an operating margin perspective, achieving uh, at least break-even, um, uh, I believe this budget achieves that as well. But with that, I'll, I'll turn it over to Kim to walk you through where we are at this point and uh, in, invite and welcome your questions as we go along. So, <laughs> Yeah, so um, we're presenting the FY21 operating capital budget uh, for your approval. Uh, as DeVecchio said, we have not included the impact of COVID or the impact of the strike. Um, yes, we could have made all kinds of estimates, but none of us have a crystal ball. Mm -hmm. A budget is a plan, and it's a plan that, you know, based on uh, a normal set of circumstances would be a reasonable expectation. Um, because we're uh, going about it this way, I can actually do a very good job of reporting the impact of COVID or the impact of the strike, or the impact of anything else that might happen out of the norm. And I think that helps us with, uh, with understanding what's happening and reporting the impact of those items. And we fully plan to um, create bridge plans, which are um, financial plans to improve performance and also just to report both a positive and negative impact that are happening in the organization. Uh, we've already started that process. We've um, used it in uh, some of the reporting already, and I'll end up there when I finish the presentation today. Any other comments before I get going? All right, so just to remind everybody, um, our focus uh, was to stabilize operations we uh, set a target equal to calendar year 2019. We wanted the budget to be sustainable. It was to cover AHS operating costs and to contribute to our capital needs, but not to try to pay back things from a long time ago. We wanted to be inclusive. We shared this uh, our status report regularly with our board, with internal and also with outside stakeholders. We wanted it to be a balance across all of our pillars and to meet community needs. 
And we focused on continuous improvement. We wanted to gain efficiencies from particularly our Sapphire investment. Um, here is the budget. It's the circled um, area there. Uh, I'm going to direct you to the bottom there, EBITDA at $24.9 million. Um, that is an improvement over the interim budget of uh, $1 million too, so it's an improvement of $23.7 million. Uh, it does generate an EBITDA of 2.3%. We did uh, target a 3% or $33 million, uh, but uh, good improvement since the interim budget. Uh, next, I want to point you to the operating income, which is a loss of 614, which is, you know, close to break even. Um, that is an improvement of 89.4 million from the interim budget. So you might say, wow, what happened? Well, we had the 23.7 million improvement in uh, operations but there was a 63 million improvement in the GASB retirement funding. So that's a non-cash item that is included in operating income um, that we had a big positive um, uh, impact from the actuarial study. Uh, again, I talked about that in the August finances, financial presentation. Um, improved investment results are resulting in a lower long-term contribution amount from the organization. So again, big difference on the operating income, 63 million from GASBY, 23.7 million from EBITDA. Um, uh, but I wanted to make sure I pointed that out to you. And there's a third item I want to point out, and that's the actual 2020 is no longer calendar 2019. We're presenting actual 18, 19, and 20 full fiscal years. Uh, and I want to point out that from the calendar year to the fiscal year, there's a lot of changes, but there's really only three big items. Um, one is COVID. You know, if, since March, our volumes did drop. I'm estimating that to be about 25 million of net revenue. So you're seeing our net patient revenue going up 76.4 million. That's a big increase, but it, you have to remember to look back at previous years when you compare to the current year, because COVID did impact that substantially. Also behavioral health, we've got a lot of retro money in um, FY20. Um, there was a check in December for 23 million and another check in uh, June for 8.9. Next year, we also have some retro money but there's a, a, a shift of 15 and a half million between years. And then our supplemental funding, which I'll talk about more here in just a minute, but there is a big change there. We got a lot of additional money in 2020, and you can see that all you have to do is look at 18, look at 19, and then look at 21. Any questions before I move on? I just wanted to kind of ground everybody with those big changes right up front. Kim, this is Taff. One more time, how did we arrive at this uh, 76.4 for net patient revenue based on actual 18 and 19? So what we we did is we basically looked at our volumes compared to how we were running. There were some areas where we did increase volume, and we'll get into those slides. Um, but if you look at interim versus um, final budget, COVID had a very big negative impact on our actual 2020 compared to our 
calendar year, uh, 2020. So if we threw out 2020 and we looked at actual 2019, this is about 3.6% over 2019, which sounds reasonable. And then from 2018, which was uh, better than 2019, that was about 1% less than, than we're projecting here. So I'm just trying to get to the math of how you got to that. So yeah, it, it ballparks to me. I just wanted to see what how you came to the construct in your head. You did very good job, Taft. Thank, or thank you, Trustee Ducat. Well, you can call me Taft, but but is that so? Th is that what is that what we did again? We're 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 we're. I'm just trying to how we weighed 18 versus 19. Do we have the same stuff? So I guess. And then the bottom question: What do we have to do to get to that? What more clinical services do we have to do, or or do we are we already resourced to do these things? This we're just attributing this all to COVID. A 76 million dollar gap is hard. <laughs> Yeah, so the net revenue impact of COVID I estimated to be about 25 million. It's 167 in gross char charges. Um, you know, our volumes have fluxed in different areas. I, you know, if we if we want to go back and look at 18, we could. Uh, I'm, I'm not that familiar with it since I wasn't here then. But what I can tell you is when we did the budget, we looked at several years run rates in all of our areas and we talked to the leaders in those areas and uh, we basically said okay based on what's you know history and what you think is going to happen next year what should your volumes be and we did this pre-covid so covid had no impact whatsoever in in, in those in those uh, initial volume estimates when we looked at trying to build covid into this we went and back circled back with people and it just we were just really struggling coming up with anything you know how long is COVID gonna last I mean if there is a vaccine maybe by January which is when we have our you know our big influx of volume uh, maybe uh, it would it would be over I mean we could have picked you know uh, put a stake in the ground anywhere um, and it just didn't seem worth it to do it when you look at the net bottom line and the fact that we've been getting COVID relief so we just thought we would just be chasing our tail. Uh, so we decided just to go with our those original budget volumes. Does that answer your question? No, it does. And you're right, it's a plan. We, we got to land on something. Um, and this it. is, you. you know, landing here is something we can measure. You know, once you start moving it around, it becomes a lot harder to measure. So then this is our uh, graphic. Uh, for those folks that don't like charts of numbers. Uh, so this starts us out in our, of our actual 2020 EBITDA of 57.7 million. Uh, this is based on what was presented in June. I do need to make the caveat that we know there's going to be audit adjustments. So we've, you know, we've talked about some that may happen with COVID. We've talked about, um, you know, other actuarial adjustments and, you know, we always have, you know, audit uh, adjustments. So this is based on what was presented in June. We had a EBITDA of 57.7 million. When you compare that to our budget that we're asking for approval or recommending that uh, you all approve, uh, we have a, a decrease of 66.6 million in supplemental payments. And you'll likely recall that for in our interim budget, we said there was not very much difference. It was pretty doggone close. So this is a big number that's now hitting you. It's the biggest one on this entire graph. 
So I want to talk about it for a couple minutes. Um, the single biggest item is GPP. We've budgeted 66 and a half million. Um, and this is uh, quite a bit less. And there is a, uh, a table in the very back of all the supplemental funding. Mm -hmm. And if you look at actual uh, 20, we had received 108.1 million. So this is a decrease of 41.6. And this is because there is less um, uh, disproportionate share and safety net care pool funding and we have fewer people that we're serving that are uninsured. So this is real. It is a, a, a negative uh, number to us. The second biggest number is prime. Prime is going away. We had 22.3 million in FY20. That's zero in 21. Although prime has moved into QIP and uh, we have budgeted 35.8 million in our budget for 21 so that's an increase of 10. and then there's a big timing difference for gme uh, we talked about that quite a bit last year we didn't know when it was going to get approved didn't know when it was going to get approved all of a sudden bam it was improved we were able to recognize uh, about 21 million in revenue and uh, typically GME is only about 7 million a year. So there's a big timing difference with GME, which increased our revenue last year. So those are the four big items. We can you know, talk about it more. The chart is back there. You can see all the variances, but those are the big ones that are driving that 66.6 million. Measure A and miscellaneous revenue are grouped here. Uh, measure A money, uh, we, looked at our the reports for like the April, May, June timeframe, and we were seeing big de decreases. Then they picked up again. I don't have a crystal ball. There's a slide coming up that'll give you the comparisons. But when you look at fiscal year 20, where we were in June and where we are for budget 21, there's about a, a $6 million decrease in, I'm sorry, increase in measure A because it decreased in FY20. We did the entries in May and June. There's also a county grant in here that probably shouldn't have been in the budget. Somehow in one of the departments it got put in there and it was additional revenue for a testing site. It's a grant from the county. It was a net zero to the budget, but um, it, it was an additional revenue um, that ended up being in this uh, in this uh, category. The next uh, item is the COVID impact. So again, we saw that reduction in volume in um, 20 that we are not building in in 2021. So when you add uh, a total of 40 million of additional volume, six, 15 to 16 of it is the actual volume increases that were in our interim budget that we'll talk about. Uh, there's slides where we where we have that growth. Um, but the 25 million from, from COVID that we have not reduced our budget for offset by 17 million of funding that we actually recorded revenue for in 2020 gets you to the 24.8. Then we've got our operational efficiency this is reductions in OT. It's the uh, DTO plan for our leadership. It is, you know, Vizient labor um, improvements. It's reductions in consulting, billing, and um, you know, this is 
tightened up and improved a little bit since the interim, but uh, it's, it's pretty consistent with what we reported before. IS and Sapphire, very consistent with what I reported before. It's a little less of a hit, and that's just because we've had um, uh, less um, of the capitalized labor variance. Okay. Quality and patient experience, again, pretty, pretty consistent with what I reported before. Um, we've got, um, you know, additional investments in, in regulatory consulting. We've got staff increases, and I'll talk about those more here in a few minutes, uh, and additional housing and food for our patients. Uh, CPI increases. Uh, we've only got four million remaining in our in our budget. We've pulled most of those out. It uh, it would have been about 19 million, um, but we've uh, built in reductions in COLA pretty pretty much across the board for all open contracts and non-representing. And we've got an offset, which is why it's positive because we've got 23 million built in in payer increase payer contract increases. Uh, we've got some non-labor CPI of about six million, and then I grouped the behavioral health net into this um, into this category. So you add that across, and you get to the 24.9 budget. Um, but this is trying to show you that you know we've we've addressed our pillars and our community need with this budget. So just to remind everybody. Um, you know, at, at, when we were here at interim, we started at a loss and we got it to break even. Um, and I think it's just important to call out how we got there. And that is, you know, that we've, you know, we've got a lot of um, um, payer contracting money in here that we need to hit on for, to achieve this. We did eliminate a lot of vacancy in the colas. Uh, and I just wanted to call it out because I didn't want anyone to forget. So that's what got us to the interim budget. Then these are the improvements to get us to our current budget. Um, again, you know, we, we drilled down in a lot of areas. The, the big things were the benefits. Uh, we recognized that um, we, we really, because of the run rate, uh, we had too high of a, of a cost in there. And we, we did a lot of work looking at our, our claims history and trying to figure out what to do with COVID, mostly not, not acknowledging the the positive impact of, that COVID had on our um, dental and health claims. But uh, so that's a was a big uh, number there of the 8.3. Um, we did have a true up in the HPAC contract, about 2.5 million. We did put in a length of stay management improvement of 1.4. We want to uh, get folks out sooner at Highland. Um, and uh, those are probably the biggest items in there. So in this slide here, uh, this is the first part of this really hasn't changed much from our interim budget. This is the areas of growth that I mentioned earlier or reopening those uh, 15 med surge at San Leandro. Um, we've converted six subacute beds um, to sniff beds uh, and we've restored the ambulatory clinic volumes post Sapphire Go Live. So we've taken them down and we've brought them all back up. I talked about the length of stay. Um, for all of the items that we built in, we made sure we had a plan for. And uh, for length of stay improvement, it's in orthopedics OB and OBGYN and infectious disease. The East Bay Medical Group was stood up. 
Um, the goal there was to not allow this to cost us money, and it has not. It is not budgeted to increase anything. The recording has stopped. And uh, we have added a which has offset to what would have been a positive variance. Um, but I want to make sure everyone recognizes we have not budgeted any increase in, in um, standing up East Bay Medical Group. And then there is a change here with our uh, oral maxillofacial surgery. Um, we're moving it to UCSF, um, which did have a, a cost associated with it. Here's the volume trends. Um, the top one there is our general acute care days and discharges. The um, reduction in length of stay did result in an increase in discharges, not, not substantial. Um, we were at 16,296, now we're at 16,391. So that's the change there. And that's really it since interim. And here's our length of stay. Um, what's changed there is we were at 4.94. Um, I'm sorry, we are at 4.94, we were 4.97. Uh, and again, that doesn't seem like a lot but it does impact lots of patients and it does improve throughput and our, um, our profitability. Kimberly, is that related um, to, the, to the, um, the slowdown that we were just talking about with Richard? Yeah, so, so Richard was saying that um, his length of stay has increased, so that would, um, would normally um, hurt us, particularly in the acute care area because um, if you, Medicare is probably the easiest to explain. Medicare pays you on a, a geometric length of stay. So if you're above the geometric length of stay, you are not getting paid for those days, right? So we wanna get everybody to their target. So Medi-Cal doesn't use um, GMLOS, it has a different target, but we've now built that all out in Epic so our care coordination team can actually see what the target is and what, how we are doing compared to the target so they can kind of manage to it. You know, obviously you can't, you have to have a safe discharge plan always, but um, managing to these numbers um, should help our overall financial position. Got it, I'm sorry. I realize now that was a dumb question. <laughs> was like, no dumb sorry. question. <laughs> no such thing. No such thing, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, only dumb people. Right, okay, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this slide hasn't changed at all, but uh, I left. I wanted to leave it in here because I do think this is a, a huge accomplishment that um, AHS has made this year in getting East Bay Medical Group stood up. Obviously, you know, devil's in the detail. Uh, we got it. We got it running, but uh, you know, it'll it'll take some time to to smooth everything out. Uh, so in regard to quality, you know, again, there's not a lot that changed on this slide, uh, but I wanted just to call out, you know, we are making investments in areas of the organization where um, folks felt it needed to happen. So, you know, we're increasing EVS and food services. We did increase um, staffing at John George. We did increase care management and we did increase money to help folks discharge. So um, I think these are all real important areas and um, 
it's also I did forget to mention the joint commission there, but that's also important too. Um, so we, you know, we are looking at our budget and trying to make appropriations as as appropriate. And then in re in regard to sustainability, we set out trying to to say, well, we have to pay for our, any increases in CPI and costs. We have to find that inefficiencies. And so that's that's the way we went about this, and um, several efficiencies were obtained. You know, we have reduced our billing and collection fees. We did do some have some improvements in some of our contracts, uh, and we are really working on um, providing tools for um, staffing and making sure that we have um, good. Uh, labor targets and that we are uh, managing to them. And I mentioned the change in the discretionary time off um, there, which did result in the 1.2 million. Uh, also, we did have to take a hit for our 340B program. Um, you know, there may be more hits coming as, uh, as this, if the state's gonna take control of the 340B um, Medi-Cal program, um, but uh, we did uh, estimate a $1 million negative impact for 21, which is not the full impact of what it is in the current regulations. And then we've got inflation there, which is about 6 million in all our other areas. Payer contract strategy, I mentioned that, uh, very important to us this year because we did build in quite a bit of revenue uh, we have hired Chancellor as our key negotiator. Um, we have built in commercial rate increases, also governmental uh, increases which don't need to be negotiated. Um, we have managed care negotiations that we've, can, we've maintained in-house. We've got some pretty high targets there. Uh, and then I went ahead and laid out uh, the county funding just because it's, you know, kind of those retro payments really um, changed uh, the timing differences between years. So I just kind of laid them out, but I'm also showing too that the net difference between 20 and 21 is, is very nominal. And we will um, negotiate with the county in December to get to achieve um, increases for 21. And those are built in our budget. Here's the CPI, this hasn't changed, um, uh, other than the fact that the uh, overall increase that was left in the budget is just about 1%. It's, it's on the represented line, which probably shouldn't be, but uh, those are across the board. And here's our workforce. Um, there's the 1% I mentioned on the previous slide that we've left in. Uh, we have uh, um, not, we're not reflecting um, much COLA at all. Um, we did say we're going to continue with our existing benefit package. Uh, we did make some investments in HR because we want to eliminate those um, purchase services and registry costs. And we did uh, look at a delay in hiring to for non-essential positions just to um, achieve some of that that vacancy which helps the bottom line 
And in order to, to kind of get everyone to move in a comfortable direction, we uh, created a labor vacancy pool. So we put about a million dollars in there. That's, that's kind of less than I wanted it to be. Um, but that was all that we could, uh, we, could, we could pull out at this point in time. And the idea behind that is if folks are running where they need to run in their operation, they shouldn't have to go through a bureaucratic process to replace people or to um, hire staffing if they have the volume to support it. So by creating this vacancy pool, it's a way to make sure that there's a, a, a place that we can fund those positions. Here's our registry and FTE expense. So this is, um, um, you can see the registry FTE there going from 244.8 down to 124.6. So we really do want to have a regular staff of employees that are committed to AHS. And you can see the registry drop dollars dropping um, from 38.5 to 19.8. And yes, internally um, we are paying more on average for registry from 157 versus 159. Our cost of labor is in this slide. Um, I have an FTE slide coming up here, but uh, you can see that there is an increase in FTEs from FY20 to FY21. And again, we do have volume associated with some of that and it's coming up here, but this is just kind of a summary slide for you. Uh, and just pointing out our comp ratio there. Um, what that comp ratio is, is compared for every dollar that we bring in, how much goes out in labor and it's right around that 72, 73%. So our other expenses don't represent a lot of our um, cost. That, that includes fringe benefits as well. That's all in, that's, uh, so I've okay. tried to lay it all out here. You've got your salary, your um, overtime, okay. your benefits, total labor costs, and then the comp ratio is based on total labor with and without the GASB. Got it, thank you. And then this is just another cut. This is looking at uh, revenue, uh, similar to the first slide we started the presentation out uh, with. Just gives you a little more detail here. Um, patient revenue, again, we've got those payer rate increases. It really should be 23 million. We just didn't update this, this uh, bullet when we did the final budget. And again, I'm just pointing out that, that COVID did have a $25 million impact um, between calendar 19, or also just for uh, 2020. Uh, we talked about that quite a bit at the, in the beginning. And our re other revenue is pretty much flat. We've got offsets going on there. And then um, the supplemental revenues, I think I talked about quite a bit already. And we do have the comparative slide in the back. And then this is the payer mix and reimbursement slide. I haven't changed this. This is um, uh, the same as it was in the interim. Um, and again, you know, you hear folks talk about how healthcare financing works, and you can really um, see it here. You know, commercial pays so much more than any of our other payers, um, but they're the smallest amount of volume that we have. 
Yep. <laughs> and then this is just the, where does our revenue come from? Um, this is the supplemental and our net patient service revenue. I've excluded any of the retro behavioral health payments and I've excluded uh, any other revenue here. But a big part of our funding comes from supplementals. Not a surprise. And then here's the measure A trend that I said I'd include. So in FY20, we had taken it down to 111.9 from a budget of 117.7. We left budget 21 at 117.7. We have no idea what the tax impact will be of the shelter in place. Just want to remind everybody back in 19, we had 126.7. And then this is the expense cut um, here. Again, the labor expense is uh, impacted by that GASB adjustment. So if you look at just uh, FY20 to budget, there is a, a decrease of 28 million. So if you wanna get at what our true labor cost increase is, you'd have to add that 28 and we'd actually be an increase of 61.2 million. Everybody following me there? Um, so you had the big favorable variance in GASB, but it, it's reducing the negative variance of our labor costs. So our labor costs would actually have increased about 61.2. However, many of those are coming from the contracted positions that are now hired so we have really um, worked at getting that increase in um, labor under control. Um, also on this slide, our purchase services, I just wanna point out there that we did uh, get those down uh, from where we were in the interim. And I have increased depreciation from the interim budget to reflect the acute rehab and Sapphire capitalization. There, here's the FTE trend. Again, um, our physician FTEs in the interim were 207.8. They're now 210, so that kind of ate up our um, favorable variance in the uh, physician um, water fees. And then the uh, non-physician FTEs, they were 4430, so um, they've come down about 17 FTE. So um, we did work on trying to get that, get those vacancies out and, and really um, uh, focus on labor management. So I have to remind everybody, you know, a budget is only a plan and in the plan there are risks. Uh, you know, we need to actually reduce our overtime to hit this budget and we need to meet those labor targets. Um, we have to achieve the COLA savings, which you know, are all, you know, pending union negotiations. Uh, the non-represented uh, is built in at 2.4, and of course the DTO has been implemented. We have those payer rate increases, and 13.7 of the a million of that has yet to happen. Um, we do need to improve the throughput, most at, mostly at Highland, and um, the impact on supplemental funding. 
Um, we, for GPP, we know it's been extended through December. Uh, there's a potential hit of 25 million if it's not extended for the full calendar year. We think it will be, but and we built it into our budget that way. But it's a potential hit of 25 million if it doesn't happen. Uh, same with the dish delay. Uh, that could be an additional $4 million hit to us if it's not um, delayed. Again, we think it will be. That's why we built it in the budget, but there is the risk. And then, of course, the pandemic. Um, you know, nothing has been incorporated in this budget. Uh, as I reported in the August financial report, we are seeing a change in mix in services, our ED and surgery, um, our elective surgery in particular. Also, you know, Richard talked about the quarantine requirements and the impact on length of stay. Uh, and again, Measure A and COVID-related relief funding is unknown. And uh, at the time I did this, I didn't know about the strike, but obviously the strike uh, may have a big impact to our budget as well. Is it possible? Uh, uh, is it possible now to give an estimate on the, the strike cost based on what the, the extraordinary measures that had to be taken? Well, as I mentioned, I know that we made the $6 million prepayment. Um, we've been doing a little bit of analysis on what the savings are versus what the total payment will be for the labor pool. I don't have it yet, but uh, I would imagine we will soon. I don't know if Tony has any late breaking news on this. We've been talking about it for the last couple of days. This meeting is being recorded. I expect the total cost to be around the 10 million mark for the replacement labor because we're covering transportation, flights, hotels for those employees to come in from various parts of the state and outside the state. Uh, the costs of uh, the savings of unpaid salaries probably equate to something close to five million, little more than that. So the net is probably going to be somewhere between five and seven. Once we reconcile it, we've got some work to do next week. Reconciling, but I expect the total net to be somewhere between five and seven million. But it may be a little higher once we work our way through it. Thank you. So this is our cash flow. Um, originally in the interim budget, um, and I guess I should have re retitled this because it still says based on interim budget. It should be should say based on um, the recommended FY21 budget. Uh, we were at one million two three five. Now we're at twenty four nine zero seven and a two point three percent. We do have some timing differences on the balance sheet. Uh, we have our capital outlay. The only number that's changed here is the 6.815 used to be 6.015. So when I screwed up at year end, the um, open projects, we had to adjust that number up slightly. We do have some offset, no change there. We've got the county transactions, no change in any of the county transactions. I have created a subtotal before the recoupments, which show us at to be at a net negative balance of 150.042. Before, when I showed you this, we were at 174.40. So we have reduced the NNB by about um, 25 million. 
Uh, however, we're still going to be over 30 million. Uh, again, we did we I brought in the supplementals afterwards. So there's the 137 452 there, or 137 5. If we have to pay those next year, which we don't know, um, if we do end up having to have to pay it in next year, that would put us up to 287.5 million. Uh, which would be 167 million five over RNB at the end of the year, and that's approved. Uh, my last presentation, we were at a 311.5. Any questions on this? I feel like this is sort of in my brain. <laughs> I mean, you have this memorized. <laughs> Painful. Yeah. And, and then I just, I included the capital slide since you're approving both budgets. Uh, this is the carry forward. Um, as I mentioned to you before, this increased about 800,000. I actually listed out the items. You can see the Alameda Hospital there at the 10.6. Everything else uh, uh, gets us to the 17th floor that is in the cash flow. Just to remind everybody that the Alameda Hospital Seismic Project was in there for 10.593, 10.6, and then 6.8, and you total the two and you get to your 17.4. So I'm just listing it so you all know what it is that you approved. And on to tonight's agenda is the roof replacement um, at Park Ridge, and that's included here. It's the 5.3 million item. Thanks for noting that, Lewis. Yeah, and uh, the original budget only had 2.2, so it's a it's an increase. It's going to be quite a roof. <laughs> Better be a darn good roof. Man. And then uh, this slide hasn't changed. Here's this hasn't changed. This is the 43.4 million. Um, what I do want to make sure everybody realizes is that in this cash flow, we are working to that number that you see as a capital outlay. So we're saying if we spend more or need more money for things like the Park Bridge roof, we have to reduce it from something else. So we either have to push some, some other item out to achieve this budget. So the dollars are fixed here. This is what we have to manage to. Right. And so I was very careful to point out the original budget versus the new estimates. And uh, I have then listed out more items in the examples here to give you dollars and then full lists of everything that, that are, it's over 250 that we will need to manage to. And just to give everybody an idea of um, what this means, if you just look at where we are so far today, we've released 5.9 million. That means the capital committee said, go on these four projects for 5.9 million. The rest of this, the almost a million, is all emergency and other requests. Mm. This is, uh, you know, I, I it's a, it's a big problem and and we don't have a contingency so it means we have to juggle yeah this is really proof of how thin we are uh in our finances 
and it's troubling. I mean, even the dollar amount for an, uh, a system this big is pretty pretty wimpy, um, to use a very <laughs> technical term. Um, and so it just it it says this is a vulnerability for for us. Uh, we're probably doing a, a lot more deferred maintenance than we should be doing. So that is my presentation. Unless anybody has any questions or wants to go into anything in more detail. Yeah, are there questions or comments from trustees? And, and again, thank you for the presentation, Kim, and all this without consideration of the impact of the strike. Correct, or COVID. Yeah, or, COVID. or any other disaster comes our way. Very, very thin. I mean, I, I have to say, Kim, it, you've really prepared us for this moment. When I looked at the, your report again, I just felt like you've layered more and more information in such a way over the last three or four months that, um, you know, it's very clear what we're agreeing to here. So I want to thank you for the reporting. Agree. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I really feel that you've captured it so well, both what we know and what we don't know. And I'm, I'm confident in making a motion to adopt this. Okay, is there a second? Uh, I, I did want to have a discussion item before we do that. Uh, I, I do think uh, over time, when we get to the net income line, uh, we really want to get it to zero. So even though we're approving this with a, a negative of almost $4 million, I think in the future for a uh, organization like this to work, the income has to equal the expenses. And I just, I just mentioned that because it's uh, it's a cool idea, Ross. Yeah, what a concept. Uh, I, I would say that you know, I, I actually am more fiscally conservative maybe than you are, Ross. I, I think whoever controls the system in the future, um, and you know, I know that's up in the air right now, um, ought to be. Uh, practicing reserves and you know we don't have the capacity to do that uh, and meet all the needs of this system but uh, maybe the structure in the future will allow for a collaborative conversation uh, with self or others to get at uh, reserves uh, because I, I think it's sort of irresponsible for us to have the current condition where we wonder about paying bills i mean we you know we hear from our cfo that she's uh, delighted that we're able to pay our <laughs> our vendors and you know that's not a way to run a system um no, it's an indication it of the dysfunction of the governance structure that we're currently in um so i'd say with the budget that my desire would be to see some at some point for the citizens of alameda county that we have a, a health system that has adequate reserves attached to it I just want to point out our, our uh, proposed budget has an operating loss of 614000 so we're, we're pretty close to break even. And again, that, that, that improvement is really coming from that um, GASB uh, non-cash adjustment of the $63 million. And, and I would be remiss if I didn't circle back to the slide that, that you're, I'm showing now, which is going to become the bridge plan slide. Uh, so we'll be um, monitoring a lot of these initiatives, uh, opportunities uh, are identified. We can't always, you know, get them all in the current fiscal year, but 
um, I plan to continue to do this and report uh, out to the committee. So uh, thank you for that. I, I, one of the things we did last year, I think it was helpful, at least for this trustee, was to ask staff to report on initiatives where we made assumptions around um, savings. And uh, so I'd, I'd ask that the chart that you just had up, um, I can't find it now. Uh, but at any rate, the, the, that, that be the source for ongoing reporting to the Finance Committee? The, the final yeah. uh, yeah, the, the, the breakout that, that Kim just showed us um, yeah. with assumptions about where we're going to find savings. Got it. Uh, this document here. This one here. Yeah. Yes. And then, uh, you know, if you could transform that into a progress to date sort of report as we move forward. Okay. Other questions or comments? We have a motion. Needs a second. Second. Okay, uh, any further discussion? I'm gonna call the call the item. I'm sorry. Well, Trustee Avalotta, were you gonna say? No? Nope. Uh, 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 never mind, I just, I'll just be talking. <laughs> Talk, that's why we're oh. here. <laughs> well, you know, I just, it, you know, we're in a, it's just every budget year, every year, we are faced with these just incredible unknowns due to not knowing when recruitments are going to come up, not knowing what supplemental revenue is going to look like, not knowing what the federal government's going to do, not knowing what the state's going to do. You know, it, you know probably one of the most predictable things are, are our patients and our staff. And, and it's all of these external factors. Um, it's This is really daunting. And I'm just happy this time that we you know, again, delayed adoption of a final budget till well past when we're supposed to. We violated our bylaws, but I think it was the right thing to do the second year in a row. Um, this time, I think we were a lot more level-headed compared to a year ago. Um, and I feel that, you know, some of the concerns we had when it really felt like the sky was falling a year ago or a year and a quarter ago, um, you know, probably damaged some of our relationships and, and created a lot of angst. And I'm glad we were able to avoid that this year. Um, but what we haven't avoided is that uncertainty. Um, right. Without a pandemic, this is the same place we're in constantly. And so I just want to point that out. That <clears throat> predicting this hospital's, this system's budget is, is um, really, really, really difficult. Falling. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> and not having reserves just uh, yeah just makes it really um, untenable from my perspective. Well, not we having reserves and not having you know assets um, and right. sort of being sort of on the edge and at all times um, we can't we're, we're you know we're not able to really operate like a for profit or a not for profit or I mean almost this very unusual so there's just um, <laughs> You know, it's, it's like we we anything that comes our way, we're not we can't be prepared for it essentially. And so I think you know we've said that that it's we are an underfunded um, you know public hospital system, and and I don't think that anyone should feel offended by this. This is a, this is a fact from the feds to the state to the you know this is just. And so I think locally, to the extent that we are able to figure out a governance structure that allows for us to. 
um, be prepared for crises, be able to weather crises, be able to have reserves, be able to have assets. I mean, that's what makes that's what makes good sense. And so I think that it's up to all of us to kind of be able to put our heads together on that. But it is sort of we're sort of like constantly teetering on the edge here. Um, and it's kind of a miracle. And and thank you, Kim. I think you've you've flagged stuff for us like this is coming. This is coming. This is coming. So it's not like there's. Uh, you know, a ton of surprises, um, but we just sort of stay on the edge of when it's going to happen um, without that cushion to really. Um, so it's kind of uh, amazing that we've been able to accomplish the things that we've been able to accomplish despite all of that. Um, but it's definitely not a comfortable place to be sitting. Good summary. Well, I'm going to call the question now. All those in favor of uh, adopting the FY 2021 budget? Aye. Aye. Okay, it looks like a unanimous vote. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm, I'm a reluctant eye, by the way. I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I, we're, we're all reluctant eyes. <laughs> Ross, Ross is a that's not a category. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's not, <laughs> no, I don't I think there are any, there are no happy eyes here, but you know, it's our job. I also want to thank Tim and the staff for, you know, trying to make a plan because that's what it is. And I like to quote the great 1980s philosopher, Mike Tyson. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. (laughs) And we've been punched in the mouth a lot. Yeah, and and thank God we have very competent leadership in the system. Um, It makes a difference. I really appreciate it. Um, Okay, let's go on to item uh, D. We have some contract approvals. D1, uh, Xerox, and Mark. Mark. Are, are we approving these individually or, or in bunch, uh, Mr. Chair? We could take, I, I would uh, accept a motion. Uh, I, I, I'd, make a motion to, I'd make a motion to approve um, all, all the elements of item uh, D. I second that. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Which is unanimous. Great. Mr. Chair, may I have a request? Please. Um, would it be possible for us to have a tracking log of the, of the uh, uh, just a line item of the items we approved and the dollar amount just to keep us tracked along? What have we approved during a fiscal year? In terms of contracts? Yeah, yeah, in terms of contracts. Yeah. Just uh, just a month by, so we could have a running tally. I, I like to keep in my head, well, you know, what have I approved this year? Uh, you know, how much? That seems... What, uh, Seems very doable, but I always want to ask staff. Um, oh. Is that something that staff can produce as part of the packet? Okay. Yeah. Looks like great. Thanks. Okay. The written reports in the packet. Um, we have a. Um, again, I just want to uh, just call out the great work in revenue cycle. Um, I remember earlier in the year when we were. Uh, having to be patient because we were going through the process of uh, building a system and, and working out the, the kinks. Um, and it's good to be, I'm sure there's a lot more work to be done, but it's good to be in a place where we're starting to see real return there. So I uh, want to acknowledge that. Um, any other items for commu- uh, committee planning? Outside of the reporting request that both uh, Trustee Burkett and myself have made, and you know we can always adapt that later. Any other comments in general? 
Oh my God, we're at 6.03 and I'm gonna call the end of the meeting.